This is Marshall from Oklahoma City, and you're listening to Middle Age and Metalheads. By 1992, the highly sexualized pop metal party had, almost in the blink of an eye, vanished. Fans and record companies had turned their attention to Seattle, and a less frivolous aesthetic that owed more to the Sex Pistols than to Kiss. When we released the record Cherry Pie, um, in, our, in, in the office of Columbia, in New York, over the president's desk, Doniani's desk, his secretary's desk, actually, there was a huge poster of Cherry Pie, you know, and it, that was a big ego boost or stroke to the band to know that you're a priority at such a, a huge label. And, uh, and then when we were going to release the next record, which was called Dog Eat Dog, I did the exact same trip to New York <clears throat> to talk with Donnie. And over his secretary's desk was a huge poster again, only this time it was Alice in Chains Dirt. And I was like, hmm, I think we slipped down the priority ladder here a little bit. And that was, that was one of the, the very first signs. Welcome, boys and girls, to another episode of the Middle Age Metalheads. For tonight, uh, I am joined by, as always, David Timoney, Colin Bosler, John Harden. I'm Michael Stamps. And tonight we tackle uh, a per- perhaps a very sort of uh, transitional topic, perhaps a very controversial topic, when we look at uh, where metal went at the end of the 80s and what did it become in the early 90s. So we're kind of loosely titling this the 1990s and the rise of alt-metal, if th- to coin a phrase. Um, so again, we're kind of looking at everything from 85, 95, that whole sort of that, that that transitional decade and kind of considering what what happened to metal in that period uh was it simply a, a changing musical landscape marketplace uh, that changed the music or did fans musical taste themselves change um likewise was it just an expansion or an extension of 80s metal or really kind of the beginning of the end for what we would consider classic 80s metal uh, and the start of something new uh, and fresh in the in the 90s in the alternative nation uh, that would then be presented to us via Lollapalooza and MTV. So uh, I think we're, we're just going to kind of start up generally here and let everybody kind of chime in and kind of f- fill you know, fill in our own personal context as to, uh, where we were and what we were doing, um, and within this period and the kind of music that came in and out of our lives, uh, from that period. So we're just going to start with John here and we've got a, got a scripted sequence of, uh, people on here. So, uh, John, tell us, you know, what, what, what were you listening to as, you know, because we're we're exactly contemporaneous. You know, we graduated eighth grade together. We graduated high school together. So, and we listened to like we went to the same school dances. We listened to a lot of the same music. Went to the same concerts. Yeah. But uh, at what point, you know, we then we went to college. We went to different colleges. So that that there's always seems to be for me at least a kind of a, a watershed moment where things change inevitably. So fill, fill us in on on where you were in this particular momentous period. Well, I never stopped listening to metal, and I think a lot of the bands that I was really into kept putting out releases, even if they were starting to wane in popularity, the Iron Maidens and the Metallicas, they were keeping their head above water, if not, you know, as big as they were. But I found it very easy to slide into sort of the next phase of music. I 
when high school was coming to an end, when metal was starting to sort of slow down its its reign, I was at the same time listening to alternative music anyway. I I had an equal serving of metal as well as as 90s, if you want to call it alternative. In the Bay Area, we had KSJO was sort of the hard rock station and Live 105 was the alternative station. And I did both. It wasn't weird for me my senior year to go see Iron Maiden with you guys and then with a different group, go see R.E.M. or go see The Cure or Depeche Mode or Or you too or you too or even rap acts uh you know with ferg i saw ll cool j and beastie boys and run dmc and i've always tried to have a very varied musical diet and so even though metal has always been my favorite and still is when when one of my genres started to fade a little bit and another one picked up, I wasn't bummed. I wasn't like holding on to my metal records going, fuck, man, now what am I going to do? <laughs> you know what I mean? Because there were throw bands, them in the garbage, man. Well, there were there were those alternative bands, like I mentioned, that I already really liked. And then and we'll get into what were sort of the bridge acts, but some of the harder edged alternative music the nine inch nails the sound gardens uh jane's addiction those bands felt right i didn't feel like i was betraying the music that i loved by they were just new bands and i'm you know i remember you bringing in smashing pumpkins we started listening to them very early well before metal was done with its sort of like king of the mountain status and so it was just like, oh, well, cool. Winger doesn't exist anymore, but fucking Smashing Pumpkins are better anyway. So, like, let's listen to Smashing Pumpkins. Like, um, and I think what helped that a little bit as well was Lollapalooza sort of starting around the time that this, this genre started to take hold. And they had those acts as some of their centerpieces, they had been even Metallica played Lollapalooza and some of those acts like Pearl Jam, like Soundgarden, like Alice in Chains definitely rode the fence in terms of being an alternative act or being a hard rock act. And they were no different than the other bands that I loved. So I found it a very easy, a very easy slide into the 90s. Yeah, I think, and 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 I have to agree with you too. It 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 had. I think it's sort of like um, it, it it's bumps and it's jerkings here and there where it's kind of like you know you had to. It's 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 a whole different sort of uh, approach to how do you get into a, a scene of music, as it were. Like the metal scene is was kind of codified, you know, by you know like by the hard rock. Uh, dudes that we hung out with um but then when you get into college and things get so much more uh diverse as it were um you you kind of don't really know where you stand for a while yeah you know what was funny was like when when this new wave hit that that metal so quickly became a punchline Oh, and, yeah, and that, and that was strange because you've got these guys now they're in a flannel and they fucking they saw singles and they like, <laughs> they they love you know they love everybody wants to goof on singles like, you dick like I saw you at a poison concert like eighteen months ago let's relax on yeah. how fucking hardcore you yeah everyone loves sub pop I get it like right, you know what right. I mean but come on 
Yeah, like yeah, it's, it's you just tra- you change one form of poser dumb for another, <laughs> and I, and I think that's that's and again that's that's the risk you run if you kind of like you be, you betray your metal roots for something new, um, and it, you could kind of exist in like two different states of consciousness as it were, but like it, you you wear your heart on your sleeve. Are you going to wear that Metallica shirt to the? To the Pearl Jam show? I don't. I don't think so. I don't think so. That's just not going to work. Maybe. So, David, um, let's uh, let's hear your uh, your context here personally, and in terms of where you were uh, about this period, how you maybe kind of, you know, maybe you're. I'm not going to even suggest you're you're going to fill it in for us. <laughs> Well, let me fill Cause, you because you you because you, you already gave us like a little foretaste of uh, of what you were listening there, and, and to just say it's like some sort of simple transition from you know what MTV was playing this in 1989, and then it's playing this in 1990, 1991, and that's that's how I bought my what's t-shirts. The, Those are the shows. What's the I line from uh, what's the line from Fletch? Why don't we go into the bedroom? I can fill you in. Um, <laughs> Uh, if anybody yeah, I mean, had so, Fletch in the middle age middle age metalheads bingo, what kind of name is Poon? Um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, coming out of the eighties, I mean, I'll tell you, we were we. I was in a band, I was in a metal band, and we were making transitions already. Um, not like out of metal, but expanding the palette, right? So the dude who sang for us was super connected and when the sub pop single of the month came out and it was love buzz by nirvana um on a flexi he rolled into practice and he's like we need to learn this song like we need to be the band that is doing this before everybody else before most people even heard it we were learning that song and it was awesome it was a great tune like that record comes out super noisy bleach and we we did that, and we did a song called Sifting, which is like the last track on the first release of that record. Um, I think when it came out, there was another one after it. So I don't I don't even know what the second pressing of that was. But we did, we were doing two Nirvana songs. We were doing the Mountain Song. He got like a pre-release of that. Um, so we weren't we weren't gigging it before it was out, but we kind of we were playing it when it like at the peak where like some bands had like. If they were cover bands or something, they picked up on it a little later. But we, you know, he was he was really pushing us to be moving not so much away, but including some of these newer sounding bands, which was great. I mean, this is like mid to late '80s, and we're hitting this stuff. Um, he was also into, you know, he was into other stuff like Led Zeppelin. I was, ne- I've never been into Led Zeppelin, um, and at the time, uh, at the time, I wasn't, I wasn't not into Hendrix. But I just didn't really listen. You know, I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to that stuff because it was I was in that that generational gap where like my parents didn't listen to it. I didn't really know anybody listened to it. Um, And that also I was always looking for new things. You know, I didn't want to just be kind of going with the crowd. And honestly, by the time I got to college, um, Nirvana had, you know, they had done all the gigs and then they put out Nevermind. And I was in that crowd where like Nevermind was their sellout record. And people are like, yeah, like their second record, but it was major label and it had a metal producer. And if it's you're kind of tons, yeah, I mean, if you're and and honestly, if you're in a city, 
most of the people you knew were not into Nirvana and they are suddenly into Nirvana and, or at least it seemed that way. Um, and I went to an art school, right? So it, it's, there's a lot of that. And, uh, you know, so I kind of, I didn't listen to Nevermind until literally like five or 10 years later, probably closer to 10 years later. And for me, it was nostalgia, not appreciation, not like, oh, this is a great new record. <laughs> Um, <laughs> look what I found. Yeah. But I'll tell you a lot of what John is talking about. I was right there with like all through middle school and high school. I mean, we had junior high, but all through junior high and high school, um, I was hanging out with dudes who were really into hip hop. You know, I was listening to run DMC early LL Africa, Bambata, all that stuff. Um, real early on and really side by side with everything else I was already listening to. Um, when I think of this period, the thing that really, from a from a memory standpoint for me, that lands is like second year of college when I was listening to just the biggest, broadest range of genres and styles. And I was just jotting down like some of the music I was listening to at the time. Like in heavy rotation in the house I lived in, you, you would have had... You know, Voivod, Fishbone, 24-7 Spies, the Boston's, the Rollins Band, Mary's Danish, Murphy's Law, you know, Beastie Boys, Check Your Head had just come out. And they played Philly with um, with Firehose and okay. Basshead, um, two amazing bands. I love, you know, Firehose was the Minutemen. Their singer died. They reformed as, as Firehose. Um great band uh basshead was like one guy this i think his name is michael ivy who recorded the whole record on samples and guitar and probably some drum tracks and the whole record when they got picked up major label they had to redo the whole record because all of the samples were unlicensed so if you have the original <laughs> if you have the original record before it came out on i think imago which was the rollins band end of silence release came out in imago um, all the samples are different on that release. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think about that time and for, it just seems that you were either the guy digging through the records, looking for gold, or you were the people just going with the flow. And I'm not the going with the flow person. And a lot of those going with the flow people were the, were the guys who like threw on a flannel for one shirt threw on a jean jacket for another gig and then you know like do i put yeah. my hair back do i stick it up in a ponytail you know like what's it gonna be um mm -hmm. and it was i won't say it was like it wasn't contentious you know like you're a poser i'm not a poser whatever but it was very much like like you know like living in collins world where everything's great and you can just kind of like you hit your air supply concert one night and you're going to you know beastie boys the next night <laughs> Yeah, which uh, which which is an interesting moment, and I think it, for for those of us who had like perspective at that time, and, and and again we can still kind of reflect on that. You could feel like a certain begrudging sentiment, kind of like how dare you like give up on that music, or how how dare you like take music so lightly that you could just like abandon all of your Anthrax records so that you could start listening to you know Gin Blossoms and shit. It just seems like. Okay, yeah, I, I can understand that. But but I, I think your compliment directed toward Colin was like, why not both? Why can't you enjoy Gin Blossoms and Anthrax? And indeed you maybe can. That's, <laughs> just maybe, maybe not when you're of that age, when you're in college and you want to be cool and you don't want to like, you know, hey, you want to like, you guys want to listen to some Poison and, and Winger? 
because that that just wasn't going to happen when you know everybody was you know trying to you know impress one another with their their more recent finds and like always kind of pushing the envelope with with like a lot of the stuff that uh, like David was describing or, or John too just you know it's again it kind of like what we did with metal it's kind of like these are the new bands these are the things you should check out um so so Colin tell tell us a little bit about where you were like uh in that in that period 85 95 r- roughly or or where where you felt like there was any kind of tension or 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 moving between genres on a on a regular basis well i graduated college in 89 we had our first child in 90 so by 90 and a half by 1990 and a half i was changing diapers and uh staying up all night and trying to take care of my my first child um and the way that i look at that time period is in the 80s heavy metal became my best friend and we all have best friends, right? You do everything with your best friend. They, be, they become like family. You, you, you're always with them. Grunge is kind of like your best friend's friend or somebody that you meet that you might hang out with, but you don't necessarily hang out with them on your own because they're always, they're always coming along with your best friend. So I was, I, I was stuck. I stayed with Ozzy in the nineties. I stayed with black Sabbath. I stayed with kiss. I stayed with all those bands, Cinderella. I did not leave them. I did not abandon my best friends. <laughs> now, what am I, I, that's, that's, that's a great analogy. I could, I could totally feel what you're saying there. Yeah. Now, when my best friend brought along other friends and I started to hear Nirvana and I started to hear uh, Soundgarden and I started to hear Faith No More, I, I liked some of it. I, I enjoy Epic. I enjoy uh, Spoonman. I enjoy a lot of those songs. I do listen to them, but I, I will tell you flat out, I'm not going to go sit at my computer tomorrow morning and get ready to go to work and grab a, a grunge album and say, this is what I'm spinning for the next hour. I simply don't do that. I pick and choose when I'm going to bring them into my world uh, but it's in bits and pieces and again usually uh, not something I do often so uh, to me I, I enjoy the aspect of the grunge music and some of that charisma I think it has and some of that angst that comes with it but I will tell you when in the early 90s when I was again being a father for the first time and getting my jobs and careers underway and 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 paying bills and being a little bit more mature I still stuck with my my guys it, it, when revenge came out for example what uh, revenge is one of my favorite kiss albums I didn't look at it in 92 and go oh no way I was like yeah thank god I got another one of these I can at least listen to some kiss or or anthrax sound of white noise etc I was excited to see those releases yeah, no, and, and again, there's for for good reason. Um, so, and, and again, I think yeah, you, you you I think you, you put a really good point uh, there in saying that it kind of depends where you are in life and what what kind of friends you want to hang around with on a regular basis. Keep your old friends close and um, not necessarily experiment too far outside uh, <clears throat> of that circle. Um, it's it, it's it's a funny thing. I don't I, has anybody really gotten like nostalgic yet for '90s music? Oh, I was just listening that, to yeah. I was just listening to the Native Tongue from Poison just the other day. I love that album. Wow. And and right now, as we're sitting here on this podcast, I'm spinning Revenge. Domino is a kick-ass tune, man. It, there's I, I I never Ozzy's right. No more tears, front to back, top to bottom. That is that is a classic, amazing album. So I'm I'm always entrenched in those things because I, I can't give them up. I, I Osmosis in '95, another strong one. Perry Mason, great track. This is this is a good time in my in my uh, music career. I I love these albums. My yeah. my '90s nostalgia leans more alternative, 
And I think it's because I've listened to metal more continuously since. So I don't have a nostalgia for it, but there's nostalgia for some like weird, like 80s, late 80s, early 90s alternative albums, things like the Happy Mondays that like I'll I'll put on like that. You just don't hear that often or weird shit like Ned's Atomic Dustbin or Jesus Ah. Jones, like things that were were sort of one hit wonders, but or EMF. But oh, there's oh, actually some unbelievable. solid records in there. Delight. Uh, yeah. <laughs> trying to think of what else. I mean, I listened to a lot of Britpop. When that wave came through, early 90s, mid 90s, I listened to a lot of that. A lot of Suede, a lot of Oasis, a lot of Blur, yeah. uh, early Radiohead. So I am nostalgic for those albums. I go back to those in a, in a more nostalgic way than I do. Power slave doesn't feel nostalgic to me because it never left. <laughs> like, yeah, it, you know what I mean? Like my metal records, like Colin said, I never betrayed my friends. They, they were always around. So yeah, I, they're they They just feel like they're like part of a, a routine. Whereas some of those records, like I just mentioned, I mean, it's like, you don't see uh, a lot of people clamoring for EMF, including EMF. Yeah, um, yeah. That's, you know what I mean? That's probably but, true. But I saw some great alternative shows back then, you know, talking about, uh, you know, when Dave brings up Nirvana, I saw Nirvana open for Sonic Youth at the Warfield, you know, and then like a year later, they were ruling the world. And so... You know, we got to see some of those cool shows. There was some cool punk coming out of the Bay Area at the time, like the 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 birth of sort of the pop punk scene up there coming out of Gilman Street, different bands. Uh, it was a good place to be in the Bay Area because a lot of that stuff came through. I really do credit Live 105 with broadening my musical tastes because they were playing bands. I mean... As far as alternative goes in America, Live 105, Live 105 and K Rock at the time yeah. were trendsetters. You know what I yeah, mean? That the rest of the nation was looking towards those stations as what's coming out of England, what's you know, what should we be listening to? And and all of those bands sort of paid homage because they would come through the Bay Area. We would go see The Cure and Depeche Mode and the Pet Shop Boys and Erasure and all these all these different acts that were completely different than what I was yeah. used to going to see, but equally great. Yeah, and I, and, I, and I think that's that's the thing too that uh, to, to to strike a contrast there between what you were saying, John, and, and what what Colin was talking about in terms of like what uh, what it means to be nostalgic about music, particularly '90s music. If you're being nostalgic about uh, a late Kiss record or a Poison record, that uh, Native Tongue. I don't I don't know what what the singles on that are. Maybe maybe right, there the aren't wind. any. Right, the wind. Okay. <laughs> Um, whereas like those and, and, and Ozzy, they were like really kind of ghosting on the fumes of a past, uh, uh, fame and glory, um, and not really finding a whole lot of room maybe in this, this changing musical landscape, which you're, you're describing there quite well in the sense that you have these outlets now that are devoted to, uh, the, the the genre of music, I guess, that at one point in the late '80s, you would just call college music, and then gets redubbed kind of alternative music, which is no one thing. It's not. 
hard rock. It's not metal. It's not country. It's not folk. It's not pop. It's kind of all over the place and can be all over the place. And that, that seems kind of to be what it thrives on. Yeah. I mean, there was a, there was a time and, and again, this, this is coming from, uh, my experience playing in bands. I get exposed to a lot of bands, um, because of the gigs we were doing, you know, like we opened for Murphy's law in Jersey and that was a freaking blast. It was a dangerous blast. Like there was a powwow in the parking lot with like the heads of all the skin gangs in the area. I say gangs very loosely, but like crowds of skins came from like four or five different areas. And Joey Mahoney can tell this whole story cause I wasn't there, but you know, the deal was essentially everybody be cool or we're shutting the gig down and the cops were there and everybody just agreed to be cool. Um, until later. Um, but you know, we opened for a band called remember white trash. We opened for white uh, trash, apple pie, apple yeah. pie. That I, was that we opened for them the night miles Davis died. So we went and played that gig and we got back to the house and the news was on that miles Davis had died. Um, and then we did, um, I think I've shared in the past, like we, we opened, I, I, I could have sworn we helped, uh, you know, like we booked the roots or the guy, you know, Joey ran the the booking for uh, the group we played for at, at Dobbs here on South Street. And um, Joey got them a gig at Dobbs because uh, they were playing on. Uh, <laughs> there it is. White trash. See what the, they were. See what the 90s did to me. Yeah. <laughs> but they used to play on, on South Street every weekend. Um, and we we just happened upon them. You know, they had they'd been established there for a while. And we just kind of were handing out flyers and met them. We're like, they're cool. Let's get them to play. And they did. Um, I thought we just helped them get the gig or Joey booked them for the gig. Somebody posted on our on the Facebook page that we opened for them. I don't know if we did or not or they, you know, it's a blur to me. But, um, you know, I, I encountered them through doing gigs and things like that. And we did a gig exchange with, um, uh, a band called bouncing souls, a uh, great band from up, um, like up around the Rutgers area, New Brunswick area. And essentially they were trying to get into Philly and we were trying to get in, you know, outside of Philly and we helped them get a gig in Philly and they helped us get a gig up at like whatever the name of the, the college bar up in New Brunswick was. And we opened for black train Jack and the yet to be signed spin doctors, um, who were really good live. And then the record came out and I was like, what? <laughs> um, but Black Train Jack, Black Train Jack was um, the guys from Token Entry, uh, the, the the punk band, Token Entry, a hardcore band, whatever you want to call them. Um, and the singer for the band was like an opera major at NYU or something like that. And he had a voice that sounded, at least from the from the other side of the bar, sounded like the lady who sang 99 Red Balloons. Nana. Nana. Yeah, Nina. Nina. Yeah, he's, he's, he, the guy sounded just like that. He had a killer voice. But uh, every so often it would like break through, and I'm like, that sounds like 99 Red Balloons. Super cool. But cool stuff, right? Yeah. No, I, and again, I think uh, that's that, that, clearly, David, you were like living through the whole scene there, making the transitions as you were like in this directly in the musical culture. Well, it's you know, hard. It's hard to so gauge how, how big anything is. You know, like you go see a band, and the room is full, and you just be like, "Oh, everybody must be doing this." And then you're like, "Oh, we played this band." People are like, "Who?" <laughs> like no, no, no calibration on on how big or small any of these bands might have been. 
Yeah, yeah, but but in retrospect, you're able to kind of you know see how the pieces you know fit together, and you know, you know again, I mean, it's, I, it's neat. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, you know, it's I'm definitely uh, lived a charmed life through college. I wasn't like playing, you know, guitar for Ben Vereen at in in Atlantic City. <laughs> Which that would Which is been too pretty bad. cool. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I was offered that gig. Uh, I turned it down, but um, and after they heard me play, they probably would have turned me down too. Uh, I, so I'm gonna kind of like you know switch into like a little commentary there about like you know how f- for me at least what uh, what made the transition a little bit more inevitable into a little bit more alternative. Uh, you know, main you know, uh, stream of music as it were, which became kind of mainstream. So the the whole alternative label never really sticks at all. It just means like, well, this is what we call top forty now. You know, which is that's why you get Spin Doctors selling, you know, you know, platinum records, and they're all over MTV. But they're alternative at some point. But uh, you know, I think it's at some at some point really too. It was kind of like a. A combination of things, because um, it'll it'll this will feed into our our larger you know question about uh, that that sort of myth you know did grunge kill heavy metal and is 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 that a thing? Can can one genre of music murder another and then sue for damages or something? I don't know, <laughs> but uh, all, all all I know is that by the time that I, I was in college. Um, and I went, you know, I bought the, the, you know, I bought all the same records that I used to buy, but they just didn't really seem to have any of that, uh, that old energy in them. And I don't think that was just me either. Um, cause I remember buying like, like an Iron Maiden's no prayer for the dying. And then we went and saw that sad ass show and it was just kind of like <laughs> terrible, you know, because yeah, Although we, Anthrax we, 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 opened and that was good. Yeah, so there was there was something to it, but then you see Iron Maiden come out with and they do the the no slaughter, no bring your daughter to the slaughter business. Horrible. Um, and they didn't really have any stage show. It was just like a a banner in the back. It was it was kind of pathetic, and it, and and it kind of if you go back now and you read the the biographies, particularly Bruce's, you could see like he wasn't even really in the band at that point, or certainly his. His heart wasn't in the band. He was already uh, working out some sort of solo stuff going on, um, and uh, you know, I kind of maybe felt the same way too about uh, you know the direction of bands like you know Judas Priest lost their lead singer. You know, Halford just kind of quits on them in the early '90s. Uh, Motley Crue's like already crashed and burned. They, they you know they change out their lead singer, and it's. So it's it's kind of like the family's breaking up, Colin. Right? You talk about bringing your old your old friends together. It's just kind of like, well, Don Dawkins gone solo, and and Rat's never going to put out another record. And when Queensrÿche puts out a new record, it's kind of it's not mind crime, and nothing ever will be. And it's just kind of like you just you're kind of growing up, becoming more and more aware of like how people are going to let you down and disappoint you. And Guns N' Roses is going to take for ever to release another record and it's it becomes it fills there are a lot of spaces to fill and you you come into contact with a lot of new material at that point so it's easy to kind of find places for you know faith no more you know particularly like their their angel dust record that's just like 
there wasn't a person I knew at that time who who wasn't able to make that easy transition from like being a, like a like a stoner, long haired metal dude with a denim you know jacket, denim pants, and the high top sneakers to like listening to, to to Faith No More or moving on to things like Rage Against the Machine or, or Smashing Pumpkins or certainly like Jane's Addiction. Um, you know, to, to, you know, as far as like the Seattle tip goes, we were hanging out with all these like long haired heavy metal dudes who were pushing around medical files during the day and, and they were in bands, uh, in the evening in San Jose. But, uh, dude hooked me up. He's like, here's a cassette, dude. I just, I just dubbed it for you. One side bleach, the other side, Apple, one side Nirvana, <laughs> the other side mother love bow. And I'm like, thanks dude it's like i don't even know what this is like let me play some of it for you and he played it for me and it's just like this is not what i thought you were gonna play me and i have no idea what this is but you know listen to it on the ride home listen to it for like the next couple days and then just never stopped really listening to bands like nirvana or, or, or mother love bone that would become pearl jam and you were it, it, it filled in a sort of space where you the, the disappointment of the Queensryche record or the Iron Maiden record just didn't really matter as much. Um, and, and, and at that point, you know, Queensryche was becoming famous for silent lucidity and Iron Maiden wasn't really on anybody's radar. So you really, you, all of your sort of, you know, uh, wavelengths, your, your, your bandwidth was, you know, able to be filled up with, uh, with a bunch of other cool stuff, which everybody else was digging the hell out of too. So yeah, I think that there, again, but there think, was like that byline in Bleach, right? So everybody who bought Bleach, you're used to like opening up the record and reading the liner notes, right? And what sure. was the I don't I don't know about any of you. Do you remember the killer liner note that's in Bleach? No. Mastered for five hundred dollars by Jack and Dino, <laughs> right? Um, and maybe, maybe. Yeah, I mean, have to, that, I, I'll I'd tell you what. That's out. That's what like the dudes I knew who were in bands doing stuff. That was the be- that's like not the beginning. I'm not like staking a claim in the ground here, but that's a point where somebody turns around and says, "Wait a minute. They made this record and some dude mastered it for 500 bucks." And that was what when I think about like the DIY do your own record thing, you know, between that and like seeing Fushnikens live and it's like three dudes on stage with a dat machine. And I'm like, you don't need all this stuff. Yeah. And, but then right. cut to two and a half years later and it's mastered <laughs> by Butch Vig for $250,000. Yeah. Well, that's different. <laughs> he didn't master that. Some lackey mastered that. <laughs> but still, you know, the thing is, I. I think that when we talk about, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but it's like when we talk about says six hundred dollars, but six hundred dollars. That's an older taken. record. That's an older record. <laughs> yeah, inflation. <laughs> yeah, you changed that. He's, he right. called him up. He's like, I dude, I, dude, I gotta make a car payment. Can you switch that to six hundred dollars, please? Yeah, and add, add the inflation. But but I, but that's 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 a good point there. Like the whole idea of the the sort of you know the. the the idea that it's that it's okay if it's primitive, it's okay if it's do it yourself, it's okay if you're not glamorous, it's okay if you don't look like Kip Winger. It actually it's preferable. It's it's so it becomes a whole sort of like reversal where where whatever glam was and however popular that was, and to be Bon Jovi was to be like at the top of the mountain. 
what 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 grunge would offer from its sort of punk roots was like no that's that's not what we're in it for at all there's something a little bit more i don't know we'll use the word with air quotes here authentic um but we know how authentic also can be co-opted and become something of you know, like they had like that fashion show, you know, a couple of years after grunge got big and it's like, hey, let's all get into the grunge fashion here at Paris, you know, fashion week. And it's like, it's not a thing. It's not a thing at all. <laughs> but uh, let's let's uh, let's let's move down a little bit more because I, I know we want to like uh, plug the hell out of this uh, this episode here uh, so that we can tell people that it includes references to the band tool. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice, Michael. Well be, done. Be, 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 because uh, because people are big into Tool, they which uh, which again is which which uh, which is uh, is is an interesting. Uh, again, it, it comes at a point where uh, Headbangers Ball is still on the air. I think that runs its course by ninety five, ninety six, or so. But uh, so what were what were some of the other bands that we were listening to that were replacing Winger and Poison and white snake and how well did they sit along these other bands i know we talked a little bit about faith no more but we could still talk more about you know rage or the pumpkins or tool or jane's addiction sonic youth whomever (laughs) or whatever shall i go as i I told you guys as i told you guys they didn't replace these bands for me so i can't speak on this my band stayed my in in a sense they replaced them a bit for me just because a lot of these bands became more alive in that time a lot of the bands we liked didn't fully go away but they also weren't uh, as vital as they once were. Some of them went into a, a little bit of a dormant phase. Mike mentions Iron Maiden and and putting out No Prayer for the Dying and then and then subsequently, you know, Bruce leaves, Adrian leaves, and they start putting out things like Virtual Eleven that are really not that good. And uh, so it's almost like, okay, well, these guys are, are, are taking a little bit of a hiatus. What What else is out there? And I mentioned them before. I think the band I probably listened to the most out of that area is the Smashing Pumpkins. And to me, it seemed like a very easy lateral move. And I and I think at heart, Billy Corgan is a bit of a metalhead. Like yeah. Yeah. if you see the Smashing Pumpkins live, it doesn't always come through on record, but if you see the Smashing Pumpkins live, Billy lets it fucking rip. And like, I've seen, I've seen weird Smashing Pumpkins. It's almost like going to see Prince. You're not sure what show you're going to see that night. And sometimes he puts it up to 11, mm-hmm. you know, no, no overused pun intended, but <laughs> uh, you know, especially wow. when he's playing with James, Eha, like those guys can can really let it loose, and uh, I just thought great songwriting, great uh, great use of video at the time. For like sure, uh, yeah. you know, I I thought the Smashing Pumpkins they always leaned on very good directors to make their videos uh, throughout Siamese Dream and uh, Melancholy, especially. Yeah, uh, I love the Smashing Pumpkins, and. Uh, I listened to a lot of that. I listened to a lot of Jane's Addiction, uh, the the Nothing Shocking album and Ritual de lo Habitual. 
uh, I played a lot of uh, those records. So when those guys were headlining Lollapalooza because it was Perry's festival, um, I was right there, you know, and, and I actually, I think I enjoyed Lollapalooza two more than one because two had James was still there, but you know, then they had added Pearl jam and Soundgarden and Alice in Chains, sure. all bands that I had started to really like. And, uh, ice cube was there and, uh, you know, body count, body count might've been at the first year. Yeah. That was, that was definitely the first one. Yeah. That was, but, uh, that um, was ni- I, 1991 was the first one. Yeah. I, it just felt like uh, there there was a lot there for me to enjoy. Like, I remember the early Lollapalooza super fondly because it was just like 12 o'clock, a band I love. 1 o'clock, a band I love. 3 o'clock, a band I love. All the way until the show ended. And uh, I, I they, they were just great. But, uh, yeah, I'm going to go with Smashing Pumpkins as the ones that really I spent a lot of time with. Yeah. And and it turns out they're still opening for Guns N' Roses yeah. this summer. So it's, you know, so they obviously find some way of, like, uh, you know, overlapping with the, with the same sort of fan base. Yeah. And oddly uh, enough, I mean, we talked about it a few episodes ago. Rivers Cuomo has has a metal heart as well. And yeah. I love Weezer. I those first two Weezer albums, um, yeah. they're not metal, but uh, there's elements of metal. And he loves Kiss. They have the. I think it, with 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 Corrigan or with Rivers, you got the, you got the sense that like <clears throat> they're one of and, us. And in a lot of, I think in in a lot of ways, like the thing that that, that translates for for like metal dudes going from, I don't know, listen to Zach Wild to to quote unquote uh, alternative music is like do they have a shredding guitar player and if it's like yeah if it's dave navarro or if it's billy corgan or james eha or if it's you know rivers cuomo then his band could kind of turn it up a little bit then yeah. I, then i think it's 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 a little bit more sort of like obvious how this works where whereas bands like maybe you know pearl jam who have like a little more sort of like blues bass to them maybe don't get people's you know pistons fire but definitely like alice in chains and yeah. definitely you know kim thale and, and soundgarden and but i though, and i think they, nine they, inch nails even though nine oh, inch nails leaned electronically yeah, on my, that on my had, list yeah, yeah i mean pretty hate machine is a yeah. fucking monster record like oh, but and and the, the downward spirals even absolutely, more vicious absolutely. But I mean, those those definitely have heavy, heavy elements in them. Um, great records, great songwriting, well produced, really nice. Absolutely. So I, I'm not sure where we are in the sequence here, but uh, David, if you want to chime in, then we'll we'll go to Colin. Yeah, I'm not sure I mean, what I, list we're I, on here. I really feel I really feel like there's a couple of bands, and John hit on it with Nine Inch Nails. There were a couple of bands that gave us permission to kind of open up a little bit, you know, where we were getting into a world where things were starting to separate out. You know, you get the posers and you get this crowd and that crowd, the thrash guys, the metal guys, this and that and the other thing where things are starting to get narrow. You've got bands like and I'm going to say for me, from my perspective, you start to look at the bands who get everybody's respect even if they don't kind of admit they like them. And I think the band that did that was the Chili's Peppers with Mother's Milk. Yeah. 
Okay. They put that okay. record out, and suddenly everybody can come to the table and say, look, 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 it's not my thing, but those guys are really good. Yeah. And they bust out you know, the Stevie Wonder tune, and it's like, look, if you're from this area, you pay your homage to Stevie Wonder. You know what I mean? It's like, you're not going to slam their version of of uh, Higher Ground, because it was freaking awesome. Yep. Yeah. Um, and when you talk about like we we kind of – I think we kicked off this idea of this episode – talking about crossover bands and you know i think about those bands like dri was one of the first bands with like the twangy bass sound that you hear in among the living you know that really like all the musicians in the band are really starting to get that like twangy you know um they call it, like that piano wire sound in the bass and like it's flea busts like out, an upright bass or something <laughs> yeah, yeah when flea busts out in mother's milk a lot of like really featured stuff and they're busting out horns and things like that. Um, you know, I credit Anthrax with a lot of that. Um, you know, I grew up listening to to metal and hip hop side by side. Um, and the hip hop that I okay. still love is that really political, in your face, protest style hip hop like Public Enemy. When sure. they put out their, you know, their recording of Bring the Noise, they put out I'm the Man, and it's real tongue in cheek, but. You know, they opened a door, and I don't know if they knew they were opening that door, but they opened the door that was going to subvert some of their fan base to other artists and gives all these metal guys entree into this world of hip-hop and crossover music, which was phenomenal. I think it had a great impact. Did um, you see it, that tour when they I went didn't, when nah. they went out together? Nah. I, I, I saw it, and it was fucking great. Like, but, but also public enemy wasn't someone who I knew deeply yet. I came to them a little later once I got to college, but like going to see the anthrax public enemy tour and PE comes out, Terminator X comes out with the, with the S one W's and those yeah. guys line up across the stage and you're like, this is science. This is scary shit. Like what die. is happening? Like, <laughs> hey, white boy, like, white boy. Like, you're gonna die. yeah, but I mean, it turned me into a public enemy fan. That yeah, night, they were so good, and then Anthrax came out, and they were great too. It was just like, what a show! And yeah. and thank you, Anthrax, for being yeah. sort of brave enough to cross that bridge and say, like, look, these guys are are us, just yeah. in a you different start, way. Look, you would start going to these shows. You go to a Soundgarden show, and you, there's all these white dudes with Public Enemy shirts on, and you're like, right on, dude. <laughs> like, yeah. hey, cool. But I think that 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 whole scene of crossing over uh, you know the black rock coalition had a load of bands they were pushing uh at the time and yeah. you know killer bands really good living band. color yeah vernon reed was you know still involved still in, involved um yeah. bad brains quickness record another one you know so good that was getting heavy rotation on uh, on headbangers ball um and then you've got the other acts like primus it's another one of those bands where it's like you can't deny the musicality of it and people are hearing, you know, and I, when I was in college, you know, I was a guitar major, but I was a fingerstop player. I studied, you know, I half my lesson time I spent with, um, Gerald Beasley, who's a bass player, um, learning all these techniques. And when I heard Primus, I'm like, I'm going to steal everything that guy does. Um, and I still play, you know, a lot of styles that I either stole or adapted based on things that I saw, uh, Les Claypool doing. I'm super um, psyched for that rush show. That dude, that's doing. amazing. Yeah, that's we got to, I, I got I got good tickets. And with and with Wolf Mother and uh who's the other band? 
don't remember. Uh, I don't keep Colin's like favorite band, The Sword. And the sword. the sword is it I really? Mean, that's that's a oh, night. Oh, you just made yeah. my night, man. Yeah, yeah. I had no I, idea that they is, were opening. The sword. I got yeah, the. Uh, Get me a ticket, brah. I talked myself yeah. into the pre-sale, and I think that the deal with the pre-sale is that there's some special event that goes with it. I saw oh, that okay. it said like VIP something. It's, yeah, I don't know what it is, I but I was like, is. I need. I, I don't know what it is. It just <laughs> said that, but that was the only way to get the ticket. So I don't know. But you know the other. So the other side of that of that whole thing are these bands that are out on the periphery that never really broke as big as these big bands, but they, you know, they kind of, I see them as kind of like spreading the universe. They're like, (laughs) they're out on the, on the edge and they're just pushing things out there. I think about bands like Mary's Danish, um, the, the mud honeys of the world that were like, they, they made enough money and did enough gigs and stuff to stay alive and not have to go back to their jobs. Yeah. But they were playing the smaller venues and they're gonna stay and it's perfectly fine. But it's like you check out like the first Mud Honey record and you're just like, This is killer, like this is great stuff. And I think most people jumped in around Touch Me, I'm sick, which was kind of a popular hit for them. But their music before that was really, really good. Um there was a split for me with Soundgarden. I just wasn't into them, but people were, and they were so freaking heavy. Yep. You know, the first time you hear gun. Um, or if you yeah. saw them live, like, holy hell, man, like just that is not that's what Mike would call the jalapeno. You know, it's like <laughs> you're like, I want to check out this new band Soundgarden. And they're like, hey, how you doing? And they hit you in the face with a baseball bat. <laughs> uh, oh, and, 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 and that, that was a band like when I when I brought that back to like the my, my friends in Hollister. And it's like it's kind of like, hey, you know. And, and again, like Soundgarden was like was known. Like they they started creeping up on on uh, like the Circus Magazine like best new band list somewhere in like eighty nine ninety for Ultra Mega OK. Yep. Uh, but by the time I got into like uh, Louder Than Love and I brought that back, and you know Soundgarden for some people was crap guard, and it's like, all right, I will listen to this by myself, I guess. But uh, it, again, it was. Uh, because there were there were some elements to it that just didn't easily translate, and um, still to this day, I think you know, listening to something like uh, "And Justice for All" and "Louder Than Love" are like two different like listening experiences. Though they're 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 kind of hovering in the same sort of like uh, time and space uh, continuum, as it were. Uh, though I think the other one comes out in 1990, and the other one is '88. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. So, but I'll, I'll uh, tell you but, the, but the, the last. Nope, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no. I was, I was, I was going to say is like, but that, that's again a further testament to like what, uh, what the '90s would mean is like you know how 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 flexible is your your seller seller bellum so you could just kind of like <laughs> try try out different things and not get like knocked off course like you just or yeah. your tasteometer is just like oh no no i don't i don't do this this is not my kind of music and and people will do that really sort of uh chauvinistically and so like i don't do country music but i do yeah. listen to johnny cash if it's produced by rick rubin and he's <laughs> playing a chris cornell song called you know rusty cage and it's like Fuck! How yeah. weird things well, have gone. Yeah. But it's like it's it's funny because you can act. You, it's, it's almost like you can feel your brain getting itchy. It's like I that's how I am with uh with Smashing Pumpkins. Like I just they just can't figure them out. They don't land in my head. 
And I, I have friends who love them. They're nuts about them. I'm just like, I don't understand why you like them. <laughs> um, but, the, you know, the, 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 the last of those bands that are, you know, as they say, pioneers get slaughtered is Suicidal Tendencies. You know, they're another, like, band constantly opening doors, you know, first with Institutionalized, and then How Will I Laugh Tomorrow When I Can't Even Smile Today. Trip at the Brain, like, that was, like, that's the one of the songs opened the doors for a lot of these bands, dude. They're, like, the funky bass lines, and then he later, he gets into Infectious Grooves, right? And that's, like, a yep. whole other thing. Um, they get no credit. They don't get no credit. I'll, I'll... I, 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 I don't think that's true. I, I think just, just the fact that you mentioned it there, and I think we know Suicidal and Mike Mize, and we, we know Infectious Grooves, and there were like they were like so many other bands that were, I think, you're, you know, the, the way you figure it, like they're on the periphery, but they're, they're definitely there. Um, yeah, yeah, they're, yeah. They're, bring, they're, they're bringing like they're, a a large, a, lar- a good sound and a, and, a, and a really heavy message too. They're, o- they're but they are always going to be that guy or that girl with the nice personality. They're always going to be on the side stage, you know. <laughs> I, I'm Everybody sure they're somebody's was, favorite uh, band. Somebody married them. Look, everybody's going to their made an honest woman of them. <laughs> but 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 I think it does open up that whole sort of like funk groove metal, which you know gets you to like bands like Biohazard, which are a little bit more. I'm going to use the word here, rap metal, right? Where that instead of like singing the vocals, the vocals are kind of wrapped, and they use a lot of the gesticulations that were common to uh, a kind of a hip hop rapper sort of presentation you can watch biohazards video when they walk across the the brooklyn bridge and there's all those sort of like beat down shots it's just like okay <laughs> and they're all they're all sort of in a circle and they're all doing their whole thing and it's like you're describing this yeah, my I, favorite thing right now oh no it's 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 great um uh, but it, it it does it so it pushes the envelope in that direction uh, where you know, it, it doesn't have to be the, the, the same sort of like, uh, you know, by the book sort of shit. You, you, that's like within like five years of like poison wanting nothing but a good time. It's just, <laughs> it's, it's kind of like, it's like Three a remarkable sort of like, it's a little sort of, you know, evolution that just happens, you know, so quickly. And, and, and bands like 16 uh, bars all over your good time. Yeah, and, and and Anthrax and they're sort of what they opened up to the, you know, the world of rap metal or you know, Epic by uh, by Faith No More kind of did that too. It's just it's 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 playing with different. It's changing up the the whole sort of scene. So there's no one formula, but I, I know we wanted to talk about a little bit more because you know we're metal dudes and we lived through the '90s. Uh, and we'll maybe Colin, you can kind of lead us through like maybe your list here and, and part of this list that we have for, you know, those, the eighties metal bands that like, you know, they, they kind of soldiered on, uh, you know, though they were oblivious that they, they were already dead, at least in terms of, uh, FM, FM airplay being covered on MTV, having people show up to half empty arenas, you know that 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 was if you watch, if you listen to if you read any um, biography whether it's the crew or Rat or or whomever uh, they just start saying like yeah we, we started booking we kept booking arenas and they would end up like half full or they would end up like one quarter full and it was just kind of like what 
what happened? What, don't people still love metal? And it's like people still love metal, but certainly the you know the 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 marketplace wasn't there. So who who are we talking about in this this particular this this sad chapter? Well, <laughs> you are such a <laughs> oh, I got so many things to say to you, Michael Stamps. Well, well no, say them then. Say them to my goddamn face. I am. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking where I want to start. You keep trying Just to bury by these bands. <laughs> I can't reach him. He's right there. I can see him though. Uh, <laughs> you can't touch me. You, you keep trying I know, to I, bury I, I, I these bands. You're like you're like the you know the doomsayer of a, they were buried. They were playing to eight people in a basement somewhere. You know, they some of these bands kind of were. No, they weren't. <laughs> they still had. Uh, I don't. I, I agree with Mike that they kind of were. I mean, I don't. It maybe maybe it was a regional thing, but like there were plenty of bands that drew much bigger two years before that. Some of them just faded out entirely. And some of them were playing to, to half as many people as they used to. We used to see Kiss play in Oakland Coliseum or at the Cow Palace. And then they were downgraded to Henry J. Kaiser Convention Center. They went from 15,000 seaters to 5,000 seaters. And, you know, we were still there, but there was a definite drop off. Yeah. At two, John. I mean, no, I, I just, I, I, and, and like I said, maybe, okay. maybe it was a regional thing, but like I was right next to Mike seeing it happen to a lot of our bands. Yeah, like, I, yeah, and, and that's, and that's, and that's, and that's where we saw Iron Maiden do their No Prayer for the Dying. It was like in some sort of like community center. It was like, you know, they had like rollout seats for like some sort of like, you know, minor league basketball team it was not like you know the the the, 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 you know the shoreline amphitheater uh at playing multiple nights at that so again it's it's not what we're looking at here is like we're looking at a moment and and again people's feels get all twisted but we put it in the much broader sort of spectrum we we're talking again about my feels are twisted (laughs) but we don't want them to even start off getting a little bit kind of curled up but tell, tell oh. us Colin, like what's you're, you're you're still loving this music even though i don't were you seeing the same number of shows back then too well no because again i had my children so oh, okay. so i, I was okay. definitely not getting out as much as i had because again i was i was experiencing family life for the first time but and, and i agree with you john i'm not saying that they were anywhere near as popular i there were much much larger bands selling out much much larger arenas back in the early 90s what i'm saying though is that there's some quality releases that still come out if you if you stay loyal to and michael really said something that i thought was really important earlier some of our our favorite bands are fractured right it's like our our metal parents are splitting right we got half the family going this way other half other families going this way we got people all over the place but i think if you still look at at the bands like motorhead like ozzy like cinderella like megadeth anthrax black sabbath they're still putting out albums that have some quality to them they're not giving up they're not the mainstream big marquee names anymore but right. as as the example i gave you before i like sound of white noise i think it's a really really good album I did not go to that tour. I'm sure that tour was not playing big, big stadiums or big arenas, but I'm sure it had some some love from the people that were there to see it. I mentioned Kiss's Revenge. Uh, I, I I agree with you that there's there's not 
there's not going to be as much support publicly. But if you pick up March or Die by Motorhead, if you pick up Sacrifice, if you pick up No More Tears, you're going to get a quality, quality release that's, that came out at a time when it wasn't popular to do that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're, you're definitely talking, you know, in terms of like the, 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 the legacy bands again, whether it's Motorhead or Ozzy or, or Kiss. And they, there's not, you know, not, there's very few things that are going to kill bands like that. You know, Kiss already survived disco for fuck's sake. So, uh, so they, there's certainly bands yeah, that were I mean, kind Kiss of like, is putting out some of their heaviest stuff in that yeah. time. Yeah, and and they actually they actually didn't they also I, I know the story is that the the Carnival of Souls start, started off as like a a grunge Kiss record or or something like that or there was there was a record that was like a grunge answer, which is again kind of like the same sort of devious Gene Simmons sort of like you know marketing. It's like we could do this too. Shit, you know, we, if you want to, you know, compete. They they can absolutely do that and 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 again I know there's there's some other uh, bands that begin to emerge in the list here whether we're talking about Helmet, Prong, Iced Earth, White Zombie is um, one I'm of pre- my favorite albums of all time. Yeah. White Zombie it was an amazing record when it came out. Okay, what year is and, that? and ninety. Uh, hold on, I switched pages. <laughs> I was looking. I, up, I was yeah. looking up something else. Um, I have it down here. I think it's ninety two, but I just want to double check. Talking to Mike. Talking to Mike. record landing like a bomb. Like he's loaded oh. for bear. Talking to Mike. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> well, what I did. Here's here's what I did. I went to I look up Megadeth. Right. John mentioned before Countdown to Extinction, one of his favorite albums of all times. Actually, one of the favorite riffs. I think you said no, Symphony of Destruction. I'm sorry, Symphony of. Well, yeah, no worries. Off the oh, album Countdown. Uh-huh. Right. So. Same. 1992 that's a great album euthanasia has some strong tracks to it again here's megadeth soldiering on and they're and they're releasing some excellent rust in peace was in 1990 and these things are classic albums and they're soldiering on in the 90s despite the fact that apparently everybody thinks that they're dead yeah um well again maybe like i as i as I titled it there, yeah, some of these bands continued on uh, without compromise, but then there were definitely bands who did. We, we saw like the transition from Metallica. We saw a transition with with Anthrax, and and again, you know, there there, there are plenty of other bands who were just trying to like stay afloat. Even like you know, Poison manages to put out a record, and Warrant is still putting out records, um, you know. Cinderella is still putting out records, which is which is uh, again, it's uh, admirable. It's it, and it's it's a it's a really weird thing to like live in the present, um, and then try to imagine like what's it going to be like when people are nostalgic about our music? Will we still have our hair? <laughs> will we still be fit? Will that's will not, we be able enough. to like? Will we be able to like? Will we still be able to like write? new songs and maybe cash in on those. And the answer has usually been like, no, but, uh, God damn it. You know, people will go st- still see, uh, you know, Tom Kiefer play, or as we're going to go see, you know, see, uh, Sebastian Bach perform, uh, you know, the, 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 the debut record by Skid Row. And, yeah. He still has his Michael? hair. I'm on it. I'm on it. John, you down for that show? Are you going to be in on the 15th? <laughs> yeah, Dave of April? grabbed me a ticket already. I'm down. It did? Didn't you? Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought you did. Oh, sure. Sure, he did. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, you we'll tell me you, you, you stop hopping front row. 
No, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's gonna be at the, it's gonna be at the Keswick. We could always go down. I've got forty one dollars, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, but wait. Well, right. that I, think, I think the fees too? on that are another forty one. <laughs> yeah. So get get the Venmo handy. Uh, but but again, Colin. So I I didn't want to like make it seem like bands just died like dinosaurs, and, oh, you know, because did. of some gigantic comet, and then they were replaced <laughs> by a new breed. They they coexisted for a while, and then there was some sort of metal evolution. And some bands never came back from that, right? Like, what did the Bullet Boys do? You know, that just yeah. that was just and, too bad. And I mean, that's like Hold on, if you listen. Wait, did you hear that? What? No. It's the last bullet That's a bad example, though, Michael. They, never, I, I they only there, had one song anyway. Well, I think there is some credence to that. Uh, yes and no to the question of did grunge kill metal? Because it certainly killed bands that didn't have a fan base to continue on to hang out for a second album or, uh, or in some cases, a second single. Uh, like like bands like the Bullet Boys or I, I don't know who else to bring up like of the moment, but you know it's there's there's plenty plenty of those bands that just like it's like okay well you guys were hot for like three weeks so yeah. cool we'll we'll see you next time around Hurricane good luck Peyton houses like but, no but I, here's here's the thing and it's it's not it's not grunge. If it wasn't grunge, it would have been something else. Like well, one genre is not going to be the king of the no, mountain. No, but but here's here's the thing that comes with a lot of that stuff, right? Is that you've got at the same time, and I just shared the link to a Limbo Maniacs track that came out, you know, sometime in the '90s. It's funny soon, but you've got the thing that guys like me who were in bands are afraid of, and that is. Bands made up of dudes who are perfectly fine going in and out of bands and projects and not really being loyal to a group and going off and doing side projects. The drummer for Limbo Maniacs was, I don't know if he was a studio guy when he was in the band, but he's on like 10 different records in about three years during that period of time. And you've got guys coming together for one record, for two records, you know, essentially gig economy which is you know most musician studio guys are always in a gig economy but you've got a, a completely new way of doing business for what were formerly bands that were together they would get together with the intent of staying together forever and that is threatening to a lot of musicians that's threatening to a lot of bands who see themselves as being a unit we're going to stick together. We're not going to do side projects. And when you have guys going off and doing side projects, it creates, you know, all the, all this conflict and you've got guys going and doing all kinds of things all the time. Um, and it's just an, it's just a new way of doing things that bands who are not mature enough cannot survive. Yeah. That's all. All right. Night guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I do. I agree with that. I I just think that uh, I think that in our genre of music, a lot of the hardcore fans, uh, it's become an easy scapegoat just to say grunge killed metal, when it's quite obvious that it didn't. Uh, 
you know, because a lot of grunge bands like here, here we go back to that tour again, you know, Motley Crue and Def Leppard and playing in baseball stadiums this, this summer. And, uh, a lot of grunge bands are not. Yeah. Well, sure. I mean, you they, hear they got replaced too. Did Britney Spears kill grunge? Maybe, maybe, you know what I mean? It's but it, yeah, it's just like if, if, if it's not one genre, it's another. I just yeah. think things move, you know, in in chunks, and uh, metal just might have had its time. And it's- and it it surged back later, and the legacy bands kept going, and some new good bands came out. Um, it just wasn't as popular as it once was, and just like doo-wop music isn't as popular as it once was or for, for, you know what? for a while for a while dude my friends garth, still call me speedo no but i mean for a while garth brooks was selling more records than anyone else and country was the yeah, thing but then, for but then he put out that record where he had like a fake name a, and fake hair yeah fake hair yeah Chris, Chris Gaines. Gaines. We've, Chris Gaines. We've, 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 we've referenced yeah. this too many we should times. Get Chris Gaines. <laughs> I, have, I have 700 copies awesome. of that album in my stock. Yeah, we should. We, <laughs> we I could pave my driveway with Chris Gaines' album. We shouldn't Chris have said Gaines that. We could just keep pushing it. We could just keep pushing it. <laughs> yeah, let's get them on, and then Colin can give those CDs away as prizes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. all day. But, hey, but listeners, I, all you have to do is post anything on one of our pages, and we'll send you a Chris right. Gaines album. We'll Chris send you Gaines. 10. Jesus. Is, is that the one where he covers Hard Luck Woman? Yeah. Just throwing in a kiss reference. Okay, cool. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but but it, ha- it has to be si- it, it, it was It was so weird, because uh, Colin and I went and saw, mm, shit, the Iced Earth Band. That's not what they're, uh, they're just called Iced, Iced Earth. Earth. And the Iced and Earth Band, the, the show Tucker band Iced and Earth review. Band. <laughs> you and I didn't the go see Iced Earth together. The, the, uh, um, okay. I have so, seen them, but not with you. That's fucked up. Uh, with uh, <laughs> did, weren't they weren't, weren't they playing with um, uh, Flotsam and Jetsam? Uh, no, that was Hammerfall. Oh. Anyhow, Anywho. let's go. Let, <laughs> Let's 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 call the band Hammerfall, um, but they're like shouting from the rooftops, like "Thank you, thank you for coming out to see us. This is our twentieth year making music." And I'm like, "What? It's yeah. been twenty years of Hammerfall, and, and like I'm just seeing them, and I'm just seeing them for the first time, and it's just kind of like, huh? Okay, well." Happy 20th. Yay. <laughs> it grew up so fast. <laughs> You're telling somebody, hey, I just heard this new band Hammerfall. They're like, yeah, my dad listens to them. <laughs> For those of you who listen to our podcast, is... check out Hammerfall. Respect to Hammerfall. <laughs> but it's it, 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 it's, it's kind of like me going like, oh, Russian. Avenged Sevenfold, that new band. No. <laughs> yeah, I, I, but, I, uh, I overheard a conversation where some teachers were talking and, and one of the administrators was like, I just read this new book, Fahrenheit 451. Jesus and they're all just like, like, just, like looking at each other, like, do we tell them? <laughs> we yeah. tell them? It's a novelization of the HBO know. series. <laughs> yeah. See, actually, that's, no, that's, that's, that's actually, totally how I just read the, with the, I just read the graphic too. novel, but I heard it's good. Yeah. So it's so it's easy to fall out of step with uh, with the sequence of things and kind of like lose sight of 
you know, how one band influences another or, you know, for us, if we're talking about the 1990s, that's like, that's going back 30 years. You know, if we're like asking our parents to do the same thing as go back 30 years from, from the year 1990, that's like going back into like 1960, right? You know, that's, that's not, you know, very far from like the era of, you know, when the music died and, you know, Buddy Holly and Richie Valens or listening to Chubby Checker records and stuff like that. For you us, the you know, oh, well, I know he also died too, but you know, he just had like, <laughs> what, did he have like one hit? Did he have two hits? It doesn't matter know. how many he died. You should be, you should be I know, but I was well, only I referring What's to the pilot's like name, there. Colin? That I don't know. Yeah, yeah there you go. He Good died point. too. Boy, John, you're His usually on was... my side. You're giving me a lot of crap tonight. <laughs> you came back from Austin angry, man. Put the, put the coming for you. No, dude, you're Austin posting was... links to Winger. I, I got to think this through. Come on. Wow. <laughs> easy come, easy but, but go. But again, great song, John. You know it is. I, 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 I got to write yeah. these songs. Oh, no, I no, 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 that, whatsoever. that's, that's, okay. that's you, you'd be wrong there. And, and I would know because <laughs> I'm, listening, uh, I'm listening to fight right now. That's a great album. It's uh, amazing. amazing. I'm in your corner. Cause right. I, 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 I saw, I saw Kip like there at, uh, he, he performed live at, uh, the Sellersville theater a few summers ago and there were 30 people tops there. And oh, they didn't cancel. Was a bet? The fuck? No, it was just. I had no idea. There would have been thirty-one. Oh, no. Yeah, all, oh, no, it was all no. women. It was all women, and they were forty-seven. They're like, I we was, used to be seventeen. I was, I was given free tickets, and it was just kind of like, this is gonna be real fucking awkward. And he just kind of like, uh, he went through it. He was a showman. He did it. That's um, like when you walk into a movie theater and somebody sits next to you. God. But you, but you really get the you hear see Kip Winger too yeah well, I'm just yeah. here to look at you yeah, yeah. cool <laughs> you really you really get the feel of like how thin songs are or how well they they hold up when it's just uh, like him and you and like just less than three dozen people all right but, everybody uh, sing along and they don't where'd you and him go to dinner after <laughs> <laughs> the pizza place we went to right? Long John we went, we went to Long John Silver's yeah <laughs> through the through the drive through. Yeah. Yeah, you so made it, obviously. What you doing later, Mike? Jeez, John. <laughs> you know, I'm but, telling you, uh, man. <laughs> hey, so this is this is the year you want to share a lift? Uh, is, it, <laughs> it, uh, is it Nine Inch Nails being inducted to the Hall Rock and Roll Hall of Fame they this year? They are indeed this year. Shit. Wow. That, so that that makes you feel old, but really doesn't. I don't know. It doesn't feel as old as like when Aerosmith gets. Inducted or something. Uh, you it know, just makes me feel some haircuts. What's that? Haircuts. That's what makes me feel old. Oh, yeah. But uh, again, you know, I think we think of the, the the legacy of metal not being sort of alloyed with uh, with the industrial of uh, of ministry, uh, butthole surfers. Uh, or, or nine inch nails, or even like the more sort of like just bizarre creative extensions of Alice Cooper that we get with uh, Marilyn Manson, you know, which Guar. then becomes Guar, whatever Guar we get hits with the uh, mainstream right about or, then, too, right? Guar, or, or what you get with, uh, with, with those boys from Iowa and Slipknot. It's kind of like, you know, there's, there's still an extension of, you know, certain traditions there. Um, 
And just because I'll speak for myself, like I may not get it or I may not be into Slipknot as much as anybody else, but it's like, shit, there's plenty of people who are into that and they keep moving metal forward into this, uh, into this, into the next generation, which is again, kind of the thing that we've, we've been examining here is like, it's a, it's 50 years is a long time and there's going to be some periods where it's like, I don't know. What what yeah. are people listening to in like 1994 that that everybody agrees upon is metal because it's definitely not like user illusion one or two. I'll no. tell you what, Slipknot has the chance to be the biggest band of this decade, as far as metal is concerned. Really, how's that? Because I think right now, if you if you look at the support that they have from the metal community, they have an enormous following. They're still young enough to continue this for the next five, six, seven, eight years and be strong at doing what they do. If you've ever seen them, it's an absolutely mind-blowing concert. And I think that they really, as everybody begins to fade away, the the old classic acts, uh, I'm telling you, by the by 2030, Slipknot could be king of the mountain. So they'll be like the next nostalgia trip then. They'll be in, like in, what? I don't, in the think, 2030s, I don't think I have ever heard them. Oh, it's oh. pretty amazing well, stuff. Yeah, um, I don't understand them at all. To, I can't get behind the vocals. I do. I like Stone Sour, but okay. Uh, okay. yeah, a, a lot. But Stone uh, Sour, what's the, what's their tune? They got a tune? Oh, many tunes. Yeah, yeah. They, yeah they've got. That. They put out a, a like a double concept album a couple years ago. That's really solid. Oh, that's fantastic! Not, yeah. you're not selling me on this, dude. No, it's really good. And also, they have a they have a series of like covers EPs uh-huh. that are fucking great yep have we met go to oh, house of, no. house of no, golden they're, bones they're super good yeah what's it called colin house of golden bones yeah I think. those those are really good oh, records. The first couple of tracks on the first one are. i'm like tell me amazing. about their music and john you're like they've got a concept record i feel like we've never spoken <laughs> <laughs> this one song it's really good it's like 22 minutes long <laughs> no no they're not long it's well that's now it's, now only, it's, only, it's only half the album it's kind of like Rush's Hemispheres, right? It's just half what's the, the name, record. What's, what's the name of the cover record? I'll listen to that. That I uh, could There's one it. called Straight Out of Burbank, one called uh, Meanwhile one in Burbank. And is there a third one? I don't know if Burbank. they brought a third one out. I think might it might be just two, those two. Might be two. I think each one's like five tracks or something like that. But back to Slipknot, because Corey Taylor, right? That's his. Both of those are his bands. I, I although I agree with. Uh, oh, they don't wear that, masks either. No, they're it's Stone like, a, it's, like a, a, it's more of a not a pop, but it's more of a trendier pop edge type of metal band. You know, it's radio friendly kind of deal. Um, so if Slip- I was going to listen to one Slipknot song, it's the spit it out one. Do, 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 is, they have a doo wop song, I think. A doo-wop song? Yeah, no, they, don't, they, they used to stand. They used to stand on the corner with the mask, but people told them to knock that off. So try there's, there's no psychosocial or duality. Oh, psychosocial, yeah. Duality. I'm putting it on right now because their track, their cover of "Love Gun" sucks. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I think while he's listening to that, I I really think that the, that's one of the bands that has a, a, a right now probably the strongest following of yeah. active bands out there. It's okay. well, look at it, right. it, 
they have they're doing the festivals, right? Ozzy and everybody bailed on that. Now you have the slip uh, not fest. You know, not fest is coming around. It's they they know that they have that position right now to be number one. Not fest is not a thing. Fest. Absolutely. Yeah, for the past uh, they started with Ozfest, right? Like sure, one, uh, night, yeah. one night was Ozzy and the next night was Slipknot. I believe so, yeah. And Slipknot has continued on. They've sort of taken the Ozfest mantle and and okay. ran with it. Yeah, uh, that's that's totally awesome. That could be like the next like Grateful Dead. Just run it, you know, as long as you got the wheels on it to go. What are we gonna say about? Uh, let's let's just do this so that we have like a, a controlled little segment at. <laughs> uh, so guys. Uh, when did you realize that Tool was going to be the biggest band in the universe? And how did they become your favorite band? Colin, you go first. They're not my favorite band. I know very little about nope. them. <laughs> Wrong answer. <laughs> Shit. David, <laughs> how about you? David, tell us about Tool. The and- first time I heard Tool, I thought to myself... This is the the, Wait, the new, was this was this was this earlier this afternoon? No, 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 no. It was okay. um, I was I used to work at Tower Records um uh, after college. I got don't, a degree don't know in what music, that is. and the first thing I uh, what? I'm just fucking with you. Oh gee, how old are you? Uh, oh no, I went to the last standing. Uh, Tower Records. It's come in Tokyo. suckle at the teat of Russ Solomon. And get your big yellow bags. <laughs> yep. Um, just but no, I so worked gross. at I worked at uh, at Tower Records. I also worked at Tower Books. Um, oh. And when I worked at Tower Records, I worked for the Tower Records Classical Annex on South Street. It was one of the only only one of its kind. Um, and then when get I left to the there, tool part. All right. When I left there, I worked in shipping, receiving, and database for Tower Books. And there's a guy who worked there named chip who hated everybody from what i was told i didn't really know him but he just played music all day and didn't care what anybody thought he would just play whatever he wanted to play um it's so chip um and anyway so i had to bring headphones in (laughs) but on the days he wasn't there there was a guy who would sometimes listen to rush limbaugh and the intro music to the rush limbaugh show sounded like tool so many years later when i heard Whatever the song is that has the bass intro that everybody that's the knows. Pretenders. That's the pretenders. No, but I don't really care about that. But then, like, years later, I I'm like, is this that song? No. And it was it's not that not. song. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> So wow. you have this so is such many, a fun you episode. Have so many negative associations <laughs> with Tool. I, it's all yeah, but, but anyway, I re, I listened to it. I you know, and I still I hear it. I don't own any Tool. I don't actively pursue Tool. Sometimes I put it on, but it's again a little nostalgia more than anything else. But it is, and I can see where it fits into that that niche of kind of like cerebral listening you know kind of like i wouldn't say they're the the rush of our day but they're a little bit of that you know a little bit of that like it it's it's music you put on to listen to not to just have music on it kind of demands to be heard rather you know you're not gonna like have friends over and put tool on because everybody will be like oh listen to this part you know you're always always gonna be that one guy um (laughs) Guys, shut up! Okay, no, shut no, no, up! Wait, wait, shut up! It's coming! Wait. It's gonna happen right, no, 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 right, right here! Hold on! Next, next time! Next time! Oh. Next time! Okay, hold on! Come back! Shut the right. fuck up! <laughs> here it comes! No! Oh wait! Uh, no! Uh, 
It's going to come back around now. Uh, Here it is. Here's the part. Um, and then, go rewind. I'm, going to go, I'm going to go rewind it right now. And you know what? I, for me, I it's another band that for me, like I get why people like it, but it's not a need that I have. Like I've, I'm filled to the gills with cerebral music. And when I go look like right now in my little, you know, stable, I don't need more cerebral music. I need music like I need like fast glam thrash garbage that I can just like candy that I can just fill my gullet with right now. I don't need cerebral music. I need fun music that I can enjoy and not like weigh the lyrics and what they mean. Like I don't need any of that. You don't want to think, David. So I don't you, want to think. You kept, you, you, so you need winger, then, is what you're saying? No. Wow. I, we I, all I need, need winger. I, I need Lost cool. Society is what I need. That's what I've been right. listening to, because I freaking love. And then whatever gets suggested, like, oh, if you like this, you'll probably like that. And you know what? They're right. <laughs> it's like candy. Um, so, uh, no. Uh, I mean, so... I, I don't get I, – I, I do get them. I just – I don't listen to them. God bless America. All right. Well, John, tell us about when you first realized that Tool is the biggest band in the world and that they were also your favoritist band. <laughs> Look, I, Good luck, I John. fucking love Tool. I don't know about biggest band in the world and favoritist band, but I saw them last year. They were fantastic live. I think their last album is very good. I think all their albums are very good. I agree with David that it's not uh, – you don't get the party started with the Tool record. Uh, it's to me a solo experience, just, just listening to the album, usually start to finish. I think they're great songwriters, great players. Um, I know they extended that tour throughout the U S if, if our audience has not seen them try because it is really, really good. Yeah. Um, my first encounter with tool was, watching headbangers ball with the, with the Ricky Rockman. Um, and really? their, uh, the, the video for their song sober would come on like, and that would be the thing every Saturday night. Uh, not every Saturday night. We weren't that much of losers. Uh, there would be a television on and headbangers ball would be on and be like commercial Ricky Rockman bullshit. And then maybe a cool video. And it would be the tool video for sober. And, <laughs> It was, it was again, and, and it kind of characterized like what, uh, what, what listening to tool was. It was kind of like, dude, it's on Shh, shut the fuck up. And everyone would listen to it with a different kind of intensity than what you would listen to fly to the angels by slaughter from, you know, you're just kind of like, Ooh, this is like deep penetrating intense music. Um, and then certainly listening to the undertow record. And then for most of us, like going back to the opiate record that was going back to like a, a feral dog on a chain that opiate is you want to put, you want to get the party started. You put that on. It's a little bit live. Some of the stuff is uh, recorded in a studio. It's fucking intense. Dude, you um, should have led this conversation, man. You should have started well, I'm with this. Well, bury the lead, Michael. Bury the lead. <laughs> no, I, 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 I'm bring. I'm, I'm capping it. I'm capping. And, and and again, so I and I and I and I, you know, I, I totally got into like uh, undertow. Undertow is like an incredibly sort of like deep, moving and heavy as hell record. There is there is no way to kind of separate that from from the '90s moment and when it in which it comes 
from. And they were, again, they were like a, one of those side bands that was playing on the, the side stage at the first Lollapalooza, I think. And I think I saw them there and they had like a, a kind of like a mystique about their appearance, but of course you could see them live and you would see that, you know, the guy Maynard, which is just such a, like a weird geek ass name. Um, it's just, and, and just the, 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 the things that would come out of his mouth, both the sounds and the words were, uh, were equally powerful and thoughtful. Um, the anima record with all of its stuff that's like indebted to like uh, Bill Hicks. You really have to like listen to like Bill Hicks comedy records to get a sense of like what Tool is doing on anima and uh, just just incredibly like uh, obscene, uh, heartbreaking, funny, weird stuff that's just happening kind of all simultaneously with these guys who are just like precision mechanic you know uh musicians um and then i kind of like you know that's like gets just back to like 95 96 and at that point i'm just like just doing i don't know whatever's coming out on pitchfork next and i'm you know checking out iron and wine and not really listening to uh to tool at that point i know they put out the lateralis after that and the Ten Thousand days and then they took like 13 years off and then they sold like a shit ton of records upon their like sudden reemergence, which is like not something that any band could do. It, 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 it's a testament to the fact that uh, they not only have fans, but they have fans that they've kind of like cultivated, you know, through their through their music, through their mystique and uh, and what they deliver. And and it's it, it's a different sort of listening experience, you know, just like listening to Rush isn't always like. I'm really going to make my moves on this girl at this time when I put in, you know, you know, hold your fire by rush, because that's, that's going to do it. It's like, there's some music that's just for the bros. And there are definitely a lot of tool bros out there. Uh, some, you just, you know, you, you, and you can listen to it in your car. You could turn up and you could sing it as loud as you want. And it's like, I'm shameless about this. Which is the the great sort of monologue that uh, Henry Henry Rollins uh, delivers in the middle of uh, the, the the Undertow record, but uh, well, you that's know, what uh, I got to say. But that's quite I'll, a I'll bit. Maynard, Maynard James Keenan is a uh, last I checked a purple belt. He's probably a brown belt by now in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, and I think that that uh, that's you know that's what I do. I I do Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, and it's like it just reinforces that whole like thinking man's you know chess player approach to doing stuff you know and it's and when somebody's like oh you know Maynard does jujitsu i'm like of course he does <laughs> yeah <laughs> makes Andy perfect has sense a winery i came very uh, yeah. very close to working with Maynard on a job uh i we was about cool to shoot a concert for a perfect circle uh yeah i didn't know that him, by the way oh really yeah i didn't know that yeah i like uh, it Oh yeah, and, yeah. Uh, oh, the yeah. director that's, that's, and I—that's that's where they were. We were going to shoot it at Brandeis University. We were going to shoot a live concert for them, and uh, we hopped on the phone with Maynard and the record label. And director went through his spiel about how he wanted to approach the shoot, and Maynard just answered with, uh, "I don't want to do it anymore. I gotta go." <laughs> and Maynard Maynard hopped off the phone. I know we were literally flying out the next day. Maynard hopped off the phone. Uh, record labor said, uh, we'll call you right back. They called back and said, it's not happening. 
And that was all the explanation you got. That was it. Uh, awesome. You know, I guess, uh, you know, when you're shooting a project for an artist and the artist decides they're not feeling it anymore, uh, that's it. That's and it. That's, it's yeah, not going to happen. Yeah. You know who else does Brazilian jiu-jitsu? Anybody? Anybody? Uh, Ricky Rock. guitarist in Tool? Brazilian Ricky, dudes? Ricky, Ricky Rocket is, yeah, is a black have. belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu under Carlos Machado, who is also uh, the guy is who Is he gave, a poison, uh, too? <laughs> yeah, he no, but he's a, he's the guy who gave uh, what's his name uh, Chuck Norris his black belt in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. All right, uh-huh. all right, okay. Well, rocket, you rocket could kill you. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I I always, I always knew that though. So now he's gonna do it with Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. That's right, just... well, he was originally gonna poison you with his love dart. Does he use a sword like David Lee Roth? Nobody. Oh uses yeah, a sword oh yeah. Like David Lee Roth, he uses a, a sword. Screw. Yeah, I practice sword, and I look nothing like David Lee Roth. <laughs> my stuff too looks... late. <laughs> From the my stuff, my stuff looks too normal. Yeah, <laughs> I, I feel things unwinding Let's here a little it. bit, so I'm well, gonna I'm gonna plug in some. Ago, <laughs> no, 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 no. It's it's not completely unwound. We, we all uh, did but, shot uh, every tool. with the tool summary though. You guys, you guys remember though, like when you'd buy a record back in the '90s, and you like you. You'd listen to it for a couple months before it got replaced by something else. And for me, that was like Allison Chains' facelift. When I first got that, it was like in my car stereo or wherever there was like a cassette player. And I would just listen to that over and over and over again. And maybe like, and and maybe, you know, Wasp Headless Children replaced it every now and again. But, uh, you know, that once that got into the, into the rotation, it was just like, who, it, it was, it, and, and when people look back and again want to like reclassify this transition and say like, oh well, grunge killed heavy metal. It's like, well, Allison changed this grunge because uh, the, there was a particular episode of uh, Ricky Rockman's Headbangers Ball where you know he was like quoting um, shit, sound like Bugs Bunny there for a second there, uh, Axl Rose and Axl Rose and Axl Rose say like, my favorite Seattle band is Alice in Chains. You should get all check them out. It's like, all right. And Nirvana then, was on Headbangers Ball. It, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, Kurt Kurt wore a big ball dress because right. he w- he was sort of like irreverent like that. And I don't, I don't know if like John, yeah. who was that? Uh, that was with Ricky Rockman, right? When they had a desk yeah. still. Like, yep. yeah. There were was, was so many guys who used to host it. Adam Curry, uh, Kevin Seal. Yeah, just... Uh, uh, D. You know, Snyder. As, as, as a side note, as a uh, companion to our podcast, when you're done enjoying what we do, uh, <laughs> Ricky's, Ricky's got two podcasts. One is about the cat house. Uh, cool. Which is, it's really good, and he tells a lot of stories. That that podcast focuses just on the cat house. So he has a lot of guests. Uh, you know, his roommate at the time was Timey Down, and uh, from Fast yeah. Pussycat. And so they tell stories. Uh, he tells the story about Axel basically getting him the gig as the host of Headbangers Ball, and Adam Curry being sort of pissed off about that because Axel threw his weight around. He's really honest. He's really good. And uh, and he just launched a new podcast. He used to have a radio show in Los Angeles in the early 90s called Ricky Rackman Radio on KLSX. And he just launched a podcast 
version of that. Uh, they call cool. it the, tri- the Triple R. And that one's a little more broad-based. But, you know, the guy's been in the metal scene for a long time. He's not so much anymore. Now he lives, I want to say, in North Carolina. Uh, but he's doing this podcast, and so far, it's been some really good listens. I mean, he was right in the middle, you know. He the knew all those the fucking guys. wedding table in the November Rain video. He was at ground zero for a lot of that stuff, so. Yeah. And he yeah, uh, clearly would have just lots of great stories. Yep. Um, so, those, again, there's everybody has a podcast. I think Hillary Clinton's starting a podcast this week. So Yeah, and she's going to talk about metal, too. So we'll have Hillary on to Fuck talk about seasons of hell. the Abyss. Probably like one or two episodes from now. Some Dude, of, we were there some, first. Some of Bill's picks. Yeah. Devil <laughs> went down to Georgia. Yeah. Jeez. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Nice stuff. Um, well, I think we maybe have uh, overstayed our welcome on this topic, but we'll definitely get people thinking about like how uh, it, it, we're going to keep this up for another 10 years and we're going to come back and get nostalgic about 90s metal and think about like why we didn't, you know, probably enjoy, you know, events sevenfold as much as we should have and and i know that it's probably in the offing because colin already tipped his hand that we're gonna have a a new metal podcast that's new as in and you with an umlaut metal so um we're gonna or everybody's gonna have to like gird up their loins for that and colin's gonna have to put together a sort of like a, a list of music for us to get exposed to like we'll do lip biscuit and papa roach and the corn with the k and stuff like oh, that yeah. yeah so you'll love it yeah that's that, and, and I'm, I'm sure we'll have like lots of insightful things to say about it but uh until then uh we're gonna keep one foot in the gutter one foot one hand in the gold what's ricky what? do because that's a ricky thing that's a, that's who? his sign off Oh, I'm sorry. My, 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 Were you my guys computer, not listening? <laughs> my computer okay. crashed. I had to come back on. Okay. You missed well, I'm back. All of all of this will get. Do you know anything about Tool? That. Yeah. Um, we'll see you next episode for 1987. <laughs> <laughs> Did we wow. bring this ship back into the harbor? Shall we? <laughs> Haven't we done it? Way to be the captain. No, we did not do 87. We stopped at like 85, I think. It's time. I thought we did 86, though. One of our fans, we're going to call in and tell us. We did 86. (laughs) 87. Do we do 86? I don't think so. Nobody knows because. Anyhow, but we'll figure it out because we can do math and just like make a list. (laughs) So, dot, 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 the stuff that gets edited out. Never. <laughs> right, that, y'all. That's you, you just edit this out. The next episode will be 1987. <laughs> 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 yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we did not do 1986. We did 1986, everyone. We did 1986 on September 27th of 2019. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I, I could, Feel I free to I give that one a listen, folks. <laughs> <laughs> we remember it oh so well. Yeah. Oh, so much fun. All right. The best of times. 
Thank you again, boys and girls, for tuning in to the Middle Age Metal Ads. I myself am Michael Stamps, and I am, of course, joined by John Harden, David Timoney, and Colin Bosler. And thank you again for checking us out. And uh, hopefully, you'll check us out some more. And lame. <laughs> and lame? We're lame. not lame. <laughs> Uh, like no, I just lame. lame. I, 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 lame. Yeah, I, I was, I was. No, I, that was lame. I'm gonna do it over again. Uh, what all the usual? The outro. I, I haven't. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't put done the, the ship back in so the port. Long. There, John. I'll get an email from John. Here's the episode edited down, and here's the new here's outro. New outro. Yeah, here we go. Uh, hey, uh, everyone who has lasted this long, god damn it, I am so sorry. Like, we are not going to talk about these <laughs> shithead bands anymore. We're getting back on track on the next episode. For Colin Bosler, David Timoney, Michael Stamps, and myself, John Harden. Again, I am so fucking sorry. Next time, we'll see you next time. Nice. For Kip Winger. Uh, yeah, for Kip, for Kip Winger, yeah. Steve. This is John Harden here. Have a good week. <laughs>